I want to uh, invite you to turn to Luke's gospel. Last week, we spent our time and kind of determined that Jesus was teaching us what was most important through a miracle. Do you remember that? It wasn't about the paralytic being laid down or let down, I should say, through the roof so that he could be healed. It was the fact that Jesus could forgive sins. And this week, Jesus is going to teach us that uh, the doctor is for the sick. The doctor is for the sick. It's an interesting thing for us to look at. And so we'll be in Luke chapter five and verse 27. Let's begin reading that together. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with him or with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. These verses contain for us another call of another disciple to follow Jesus. Now we've already seen the call of Peter, James, and John when they had been fishing and you remember Jesus told them to let down their nets again and they caught such a catch that their nets began to tear, the boats began to almost sink and he tells these three guys, you follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In verse 27, we're introduced to a tax collector named Levi. And there are a couple of things about this that should give us pause before we continue. We might make the mistake this morning of seeing Levi's occupation as a tax collector as just like somebody who works for the IRS in our country. It's not quite the same. And if we, if we miss that, we, we don't really understand what's going on when these religious leaders called Pharisees and scribes are a little bit put out with Jesus and his disciples for hanging out with more tax collectors. Uh, I know nobody likes to pay taxes, but we don't hate people that work for the IRS and we don't hold them in contempt in the same way that Jews held in contempt those who worked for the Roman government collecting tax. You see, the issue was the Roman government was an occupying army of their land and they were given free reign to take as much tax as they wanted as long as they got Rome what Rome needed. So you could say it like this. I've got Rome what they needed, but now I'm going to take and make myself rich. I'm going to, to take more than I need to and enrich my own fortune. Now that's bad enough when it's a Gentile doing that. We don't like him is what the Jews would say. But this man's name should tell you something. His name is Levi and he didn't start a blue jean company. He's somebody from the tribe of the Levites. And if you think about that, in the Old Testament, what were the Levites' responsibilities? They were, they were responsible for the worship of God. In the Old Testament, they took the tabernacle and they would put it up, they would take it down. They took the sacrifices with the priests and they did all of these things. And so this is even worse that he is working for the Roman government. Uh, his name is, is elsewhere in scripture called Matthew. And if I slip up today and say Matthew, you know that I mean Levi. And if I say Levi, I mean Matthew. But Levi also wrote a gospel called Matthew. He's one of the disciples and one of the apostles. Uh, but, but we always refer to him as Matthew. And when a Jewish person accepted the role of a tax collector, it really created an incurable wound for his countrymen. It was like, how could you get rich off the backs of your own people? This is crazy. How could you do that? Well, we don't know how much Levi knew about Jesus. Perhaps 
He had seen Jesus teaching in and around the area. Perhaps he'd seen Jesus work a miracle, but it doesn't say that in our passage. It just says in verse 27, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office and said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Now, the fact that Jesus chose Levi to be one of his disciples is encouraging to us on a couple of different fronts. Uh, One is that it means that no matter what we've done, nobody is too far from the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Somebody once said that the the ground at the cross is level. Nobody gets a leg up on anybody. Nobody stands head and shoulders above anybody. When we come to the cross... We're all the same. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church. It doesn't matter if you didn't. It doesn't matter if, if, if you have a past you'd really like to forget. Everybody can be saved. Everybody comes. And that was incredibly important for Levi. It was so important that he left what he was doing. And just like Peter, James, and John left it all behind and, and walked out to follow the Lord. You know, I still remember the day that I became a Christ follower. I didn't have it all figured out. I doubt that Levi had it all figured out. It wasn't like he'd read a lot of books about it. Nobody had shared with him the case for Christ. It hadn't been written yet. He hadn't seen the Jesus film. He was watching it in real time. You know what I mean? He didn't have a lot of his questions answered, but he obeyed and he followed. And, and maybe you're sitting here today and you would say, I still have questions. Can we just take a quick poll in the room? And now this is where you need to not be spiritual. Be honest, please. We're going to help some people. If you still have questions, would you join me in raising your hand? I still have questions. Like, you know, we don't have to have all our questions answered to follow Jesus. In fact, some of them get answered and then a lot more questions just come. I mean, that's just the way that it works. We don't have to know it all. In fact, when when I look back at what I knew about Jesus as a young man responding to faith in Christ, I pretty much knew Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so. I had that part down and I knew that I was a sinner, but beyond that, I didn't understand all of these things. I knew that, that I needed to accept Christ and when I heard the call, I received it and began to follow Jesus. Now, I wanna ask you this question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you decided to follow Jesus. See, what Levi was doing was understanding that as he followed Jesus step by step and day by day, he would figure it out. He'd walk with him. He he would talk with him. He'd observe Jesus, and that would make it all make sense. Now, I wanna just encourage you today, if you've never given your life to Christ, don't delay on that decision. Give your life to Christ. Be a Christ follower, just like Levi. Jesus already loves you and he wants you to know him and he wants you to follow him. So don't delay on that. You might understand how Jesus might save someone, but could Jesus really bring a guy like Levi into the inner group? I mean, maybe Jesus would would save him, but he would keep him at arm's distance. And, And I think a lot of us might live our Christian lives that way. Like we have this inferiority complex that Jesus could never really allow us to be released to do ministry because of who we were in our past, who we have been. And, and you know, I got to be honest with you. Uh, I'm like you. I don't like looking back at my past. I, I, it's kind of shameful, honestly, and it doesn't make me feel good about myself. But that's exactly why Jesus came, so that we'd be set free from all of those things. And what we begin to see is that Jesus brought him in, and in Levi's case, he called him and made him one of the 12 disciples. And if that could happen from him, or for him rather, what would keep you from serving the Lord today? What disqualifies you? What would keep you from 
giving your life in service of the king? Well, the answer is there's a place for all of us to serve King Jesus. We, we have the ability when he saves us, we're a new man, a new woman in Christ, set free to serve the Lord. I mean, think about Levi's life. He wasn't constrained by his past. His past helped him write a gospel. He wrote a gospel specifically for Jewish people, Matthew's gospel. He understood it. He understood what it was like to be a tax collector. That informed how he lived his life. Uh, he was a disciple. He was an apostle. That's pretty good for a tax collector that couldn't be invited over to anybody's house for a meal. He did pretty good. We can serve the Lord as he unleashes us. Now, I just want to remind you that those things that you think are holding your back might actually be the very bridge that God uses. If you see verse 29, you'll understand what I mean. Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. You look at this and you might see why God uses all of our experiences, even the unpleasant ones, to build his family. How do you reach a group of tax collectors? Start with a tax collector. The word others there says more of the like kind. I mean, they, they were tax collectors and sinners and others, the same kind it says. This was a, a group of people that Levi was, was really close to. He had a party where he brought everyone from his inner circle over to his house, people just like him. And, and basically, those who were ostracized from society, the outcasts who weren't really welcome in religious circles were welcomed at his table and he did something amazing. He became a bridge for others to know Christ. The Bible tells us a similar story in the book of Acts. I was just reading it a few weeks ago. In Acts chapter 10, there's the story of a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius is a Gentile who's a God-fearer. And he's really seeking the Lord. And he asks the Lord uh, and, and, and is, is doing all these things to try to, to please God. And God in a dream tells him to, to find Peter the apostle. And Peter the apostle comes to his house. And I want you to see what Cornelius did. The following day, he, being Peter, entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Well, Cornelius had an expectation that led him to an invitation. He was inviting friends and relatives to his house. He wanted them to experience what was about to happen. It wasn't just for him. He wanted them all to know what he had been seeking. He was finding in Christ and God was moving and he was excited for them to be able and be part of that. Well, if you think about it, it's not that hard to be an effective witness for Jesus. I mean, it's really not that difficult. It, it, it might be as simple as, as opening up your grill and, and lighting up the charcoal. Now, that might be the hardest part, honestly, is getting the charcoal to light. But that's why we have gas grills, for those of you who can't, you know? You get the grill started. You invite your friends over and you say, you know, I'm part of a life group. I'd love for you to get to know my life group teacher. At our life group, we, we not only just study the word of God, but we also spend time together. We fellowship with one another. Come over to my house. I want you to meet my life group. Now, if your life group leaders, I mean, any, any kind of life group leader, they're gonna talk to everybody, but they're gonna share the gospel. Why do we do this? Maybe you would invite some friends over who are concerned about what's going on in our state with things related to Department of Child Services or orphans or foster care. And, and you'd say, hey, our church is, is doing some things and you could be a part of it, you know, because you don't have to be a believer to help children, do you? So you could be a part of this. Come over to our house 
And, and I'm gonna have one of our pastors, or I'm gonna have Leslie Strange come talk to you about what embrace grace means. This is for everybody. And, and we, we wanna share that with you. And, and you know what we might do when we get there is tell them the reason that we do these things. We could be a witness. It's easy to see what they were doing is they were inviting the people around their lives to be part of the most important thing in their lives. They were doing that. Now, I'm happy to come to any party like that. You've already got permission from people to share the gospel with them. You've said we're, we're having somebody come. Our pastors will come. Your life group teacher will come. Any of us would come. You know why we do it? Because we do it because the love of Christ compels us to do it. Now, for years, I've been telling you that you're the translators of the culture. You're the bridge that helps us to understand what's going on culturally. So in Levi's case, Levi invited the crowd that he had been hanging out with last week to meet the crowd he was going to be hanging out with this week. So a tax collector invites tax collectors. An accountant brings some accountants. Teachers bring teachers. Businessmen bring businessmen. People that play a sport bring people that enjoy that sport. Parents, mothers, bring other mothers together. I mean, you're the bridge to that. And as you do that, you understand what, what God's doing is, is making a difference through your life then as an effective witness for Christ. Because who could better be equipped to reach your friends for Christ, your family members for Christ than you? You live with them already. Matthew wasn't leaving them behind. Levi wasn't leaving them behind. He was, he was bridging the gap for them so they could get to Jesus. Now, this spectacle of a feast must have been something to see because it said that it attracted the attention of some of the leaders and rulers of the law, the Pharisees and the scribes. And they're not happy about this party at all. In their opinion, no one should hang out with the tax collectors, the scribes, and the others just like them. Nobody should be um, the tax collector, the sinners, and the others just like them. Nobody should be hanging out with them. And I want you to see what they started to say in verse 30. It says they, they questioned, they complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And it's basically saying, why are you guys hanging out with this crowd? They, they really couldn't understand why anybody would associate with this group of people because they were known sinners. And it says they started to complain. And maybe your Bible says one of these words, murmur or grumble. You can kind of hear it. The person that stands off with their arms crossed and kind of rah, 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 under, their, under their breath, you know? What are they doing with these people? Why would you hang out with them? Nobody hangs out with them. What's the matter with your rabbi? Why would you, you allow him to, to hang out with these people? Why would it do that? Now, it's challenging, isn't it, when someone likes somebody that you don't like. That's tough. It makes you uncomfortable. You wonder why on earth maybe your friend would esteem them so highly. Why do you hang out with them? I, mean, I don't even like them. And that's kind of what's going on here. A Pharisee would have never had an invite to this party, but they couldn't stand that it was going on in the first place because they really saw it as a mixing of what was good and what was bad and they couldn't stand it. You guys are eating with sinners. Did you notice that's what they called them? You feel the snobbery? You guys are hanging out with big fat sinners. What's the matter with you? Nobody hangs out with them. One of the things that that we see is something that's an age old trick of the enemy. You know what the enemy loves to do? The enemy loves for men and women to create categories of people. Those are all man-made by the way. That's all, that's all man-made. But categories of people so that there's a division 
And, and the Bible tells us that when Jesus saved us, a couple of things happened. One is that your ethnicity, it didn't matter anymore because it says whether you're a, a Jew or a Greek, doesn't matter. We've all been saved. It says being a man or being a woman is no advantage to being saved. It doesn't matter. It says that being slave or free doesn't matter because, again, everybody comes to the cross the same way. And so our salvation is actually what unites us in Christ. And it doesn't matter what country you're from. In, in fact, I would encourage you, if you've never had the experience of going on one of our mission trips and getting to meet people that have a different language, different culture, different custom, you're going to feel out of place until you get to where the Christians are. And then all of a sudden, something happens. You feel this uniting taking place, even though you may not understand them, they may not understand you, but what's inside of you is so much more important than what separates you. And, and so that's, what, that's what's happening here. There's a uniting that's happening. And, and we have to make sure that, that we don't allow the separation of these categories to take place in our life, in our church, because none of that matters. Jesus came and tore down the walls so that he could build his family and unite a family of believers. You might have also noticed that the religious leaders minimized their own sin. They didn't say, like, they're sinners like we are. No. Didn't talk about their own sin. How does your teacher, how do you guys hang out with tax collector sinners and others just like this? How could it be this way? They were highlighting the very visible sins of the people at the banquet and isn't that easy to do? It's, it's very easy for me to point out the sins of the culture. It's very easy for me to point out your sins. Well, I don't want you to talk about mine. Now you're, you're meddling. Well, this spiritual snobbery that they had They'd forgotten something. Those who have found Christ must never forget it. The Apostle John teaches us about it in 1 John 1. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is, in not, is not in us. And we must never lose sight of the fact that lost people act like lost people and we, we shouldn't let that be shocking to us. They're not the enemy. We're not fighting flesh and blood. It's not those people that are, we're against. It's, it's people who are just like what we used to be like. You're never gonna be able to win people to Christ as long as you see them as those people. As long as you look down your nose at those people, as long as you feel like those people, that category of people, somebody we need to fight, well, we're never gonna win anybody to Christ. That's, that's not how we, we win people to Christ. It doesn't work that way. Jesus went to where these people were and his response to the complaints of the religious leaders, it just fascinates me. He replied to them in verse 31, it's not those who are healthy that need a doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, one of the scariest things in the world is sitting in the waiting room of a doctor. Because you know it's just a bunch of sick people. You know what I mean? You might be feeling good, but you don't want to be there. And doctors don't do very well when they just have a bunch of healthy people. I mean, they, they kind of have to get hands on with the sick people. That, that's how it works. And if you think about it, there'd probably be two different ways for us to look at this 
this statement that Jesus makes, and I think they'd both be good, but one of them would be more important than the other. And I wanna start with the one that's good and then the one that I think is most important. Secondly, uh, we, we could understand it, the first approach by saying that Jesus means that when a doctor has a room full of people, he doesn't have a job. He's not worried about it. So what Jesus is saying is, I've shifted my tactics to move away from healthy people to just go after those who are not healthy. Now, if you think about it, Jesus told a parable about this one time. Do you remember the parable of the lost sheep? He said there were a hundred sheep that a man had and he lost one. And leaving the 99, he went to go and look for the one. And when he finds the sheep, he rejoices, calls all his friends together. They have a party. It's good times. It's great. He's excited. And he says, there's a lot of joy in heaven over finding the one who was lost. Now, I think the point of that parable is not that the 99 are not important. We might make that mistake to believe that Jesus is saying, you who are the 99 are not important because you're saved, you're safe. The one is most important, but that's not what he's saying at all. I think there has to be something more to this. Rather, it's that lostness is so awful that the master's willing to leave the 99 to go get one who might be lost. It's so dreadful that he doesn't want one to be lost. And we might see that as crazy because you'd say to the shepherd, well, that's the cost of doing business. You got 99, you lost one. That's not a bad average. You did pretty good. You've got a good percentage of retained sheep here. You could write that one off, but Jesus doesn't do that. He goes after the one. And if we think about that in terms of how we operate the church, then that might change a little bit about what we think about our purpose is in gathering here. You know, our purpose isn't to make you happy. It isn't just to provide more things for you to do. We were called out of darkness into light and set on mission. So, so we join the Lord as laborers in the field and we go with him to seek and save those who are lost. Not, not that we're not concerned about those who are saved. That's a concern. But if we miss this, we miss our purpose. We go after the one, we seek them, work in the fields, share the love of God with everyone. Why? Because lostness is truly awful. It's horrendous. It, it, it is one of the most dreadful things. And when we comprehend how being lost, how awful being lost really is, then we understand why Levi decided to throw this big party. He wasn't leaving them behind. He understood. I mean, it's fresh in his mind. I was lost. Now I'm found. I want my friends to know what this is like. I want to bring them here so that they can meet Jesus too. But there's a second and maybe more important thing. When we talk about doctors and healthy and sick people, Jesus' comment about not calling the righteous but sinners to repentance was not an affirmation of the Pharisees and the scribes standing before God. He was not saying, you know, you guys are good to go. I don't need to be with you. It was actually an indictment against them because they didn't see themselves in need of anything that Jesus had to offer. They saw themselves as righteous. They were righteous because of what they did in their own eyes. They, they had built a standard of righteousness and we can do the same. They were judgmental of the tax collectors and sinners. And correctly so, because they were, they were outside of God's will, living a life that was, was not honoring God, but they couldn't see past their own pride and haughtiness and judgmental attitude to see their own need for salvation. Now, before you can be saved, there is something 
that needs to take place. You have to know that you need a savior. If I'm okay and you're okay, we don't need Jesus. The problem is I'm not okay and you aren't either. We need a savior. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Furthermore, it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We are separated from God and need a savior. That's why Christ came. So to be saved requires brokenness and humility that our relationship with God the Father is not right and we need Christ to make it right. Throughout all the scripture, it talks about how God looks favorably on the humble, those who are in a humble position. The psalmist says it like this, Psalm 138 and verse six. Though the Lord is exalted, he takes note of the humble, but he knows the haughty from a distance. What does it mean? God's exalted. In other words, remember we have all these questions that we're not maybe gonna get answered in this life. We, we can't understand some things. And we approach God in faith, recognizing he's so much bigger than we are. He spoke the world into existence. There's just some things you're not gonna wrap your arms around because God is exalted. I mean, he's bigger than anything that we could even ask, think, or imagine. I mean, he's huge, right? And yet, it says that God loves and takes note of the humble. We have a humble attitude before the Lord it, it's us expressing that we need him, that we can't make it on our own, that there's no way we can make it on our own. But notice what it says. He knows the haughty from a distance. I'm gonna tell you something. You don't wanna be far from God in your relationship with him because he came to us so that we could be part of a family. And what he talks about in this idea of family is he says that we can call him father. More than that, he says that we can call him the word Abba in the scripture, Daddy. There's a closeness there. There's a closeness to, to what God is doing when he brings us into our family. It's not known from a distance. Remember what we said? Levi's not going to be a second-class citizen in the kingdom. He's brought right in and unleashed or released, if you want to say it, so that he can serve the Lord. He's a representative of the family, of the king. The Pharisees, they were kept from Jesus because they didn't see that they had a need for him. And they couldn't understand why Jesus would spend his time with people that weren't self-sufficient and, and proud of who they were. But Jesus was always moving towards the lost because he, came, he said, I came to seek and save the lost. Have you ever given your life to Christ? Have you ever been humble enough just to say, I cannot do this on my own? And I, I know we all say things like, I, I try to be a good person, but trying to be a good person is justifying yourself. What, what does it mean to be a good person? How do we measure that? What's the standard for that? Did you create it? When you feel like you've been a good person, are you happy with yourself? When you feel like you've done enough good things, are you happy with yourself? Jesus says, I know that person from a distance. But the person who would be so humble is to say, I cannot do it on my own. I need you, Lord. Save me. I'll follow you. That's who Jesus accepts. So those of us who know Christ, maybe we may, I'm gonna get it out in a minute, may we be reminded that God didn't come just to make us happy. He came so that we could serve 
He came so that we could reach those in society that society or, or the religious set might call those people. When we're talking about those people, that's just candidates to be part of the family. That's future brothers and sisters in Christ who can come to know Jesus. Well, when we think about that, we're to be the bridge for that. And, and if we lose sight of that this morning, if we lose sight of why, why Jesus came, we lose sight of our mission. Jesus associated with people from all walks of life. And he was always willing to go wherever he was needed to seek and save the lost. He came to die for those people like he died for you, for me. May we never forget that. In just a moment, I'm going to ask us to bow our heads in prayer. And I'm going to ask you, if you've never given your life to Christ, to do that today. To humbly say, I cannot do it on my own. I need Jesus to save me. And I'll follow him. And I'm going to ask you as a church to recommit yourself to being a bridge for those who are lost to know Christ. Maybe to lay down some of the categories that you have created or you've bought into that talk about whoever those people are in your mind and realize that Jesus loved them and died for them and he wants them to be part of his family. And we're the bridge. Father, as we pray to you this morning, we're so grateful that Christ has saved us and we pray for the one this morning that doesn't know you. They've never given their life to you. Our prayer, Father, is that today they would humble themselves and realize that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And that, God, if they would be humble, you would draw near to them and save them. Father, we pray for us that we might never become so proud of who we are that we miss what you're doing in the lives of other people. God, make us willing to go across the street. Make us willing to go across the hall at work or at school and, and reach out to those, Lord, who we think are far from you. Father, we once were far from you, but you've saved us and we believe you can do it today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.